Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here nationwide. Delighted to have you with me. The phone number is 877-973-7425. If you want to call in, be a part of the program, glad to have you with me. Uh, some breaking news we got to get out of the way. Reuters is reporting on the wire service right now uh, that the massive Russian convoy headed towards Kiev uh, is stalled and some Russian units have surrendered without a fight. But uh, the damage and destruction goes on in uh, Ukraine. We'll bring you that later. Also, closer to home, a federal judge, an Obama appointee, no less, down in Georgia, has upheld Georgia's congressional districts and will allow the election to go forward there. In May, a lot of people around the country thought that Mark Elias, uh, the Democrat super lawyer, would be able to get those districts thrown out. He has not. The judge says they possibly run afoul of the Voting Rights Act, but he will allow the districts to be in place for the election in May down in Georgia. They'll have their uh, Republican Democratic primaries in. Now, the moment we've been waiting for, well, none of us really have, the State of the Union. Tonight at 9 o'clock, the President of the United States of America will address the nation from the U.S. House of Representatives uh, as all presidents do, he'll declare the state of the nation good. Probably it's not. We'll get to that. I will, by the way, if you're on a Cox media station, uh, my affiliates in Dayton, Tulsa, Jacksonville, Orlando, Atlanta, and Athens, I will be on uh, after the state of the union, taking your calls, getting your reaction, the first national reaction from the people to the state of the union address. When I was a kid, I thought they were kind of cool. The president of the United States shows up. You give this big address. Every member of Congress is there. The nation kind of rallies. The president sets his agenda, and away we go. Starting with uh, really Bill Clinton's administration, he changed the State of the Union from a moment of the nation to come together and assess its actual priorities to a using it to kind of rebrand in the run-up to an election and to shape uh, his particular partisan wish list. And they became grab bags of, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this. And the speeches began to get longer. And... Here's the thing with the State of the Union. We're going to give it an inordinate amount of attention because it is the State of the Union. It is the president's annual address to Congress. It is where all three branches of government come together for one night of pageantry in the U.S. House of Representatives to listen to the president give his speech. But by Friday, we will have all forgotten what President Biden said. This is what happens every single year. The State of the Union address is no longer an address to kind of go to the hearts of the American public. It's just a partisan address where one side of the House claps, the other side does nothing except sit on their hands. Half of them aren't even going to come because they don't want nasal swabs tonight. There will be no masks, but you got to get a nasal swab. There's really no point to the amount of attention we're going to give it. We give it because it is a newsworthy event, but it is newsworthy for a few days and then fades away. And what will the president say at his State of the Union address? Well, he's going to double down on the Green New Deal 
and he's going to double down on trying to get Build Back Better. He's already signaled this. I, I, I've got some of the White House briefing papers myself. The president is going to go all Build Back Better and Green New Deal. He will, of course, address Ukraine, and the White House confirms he will mention inflation by name. Undoubtedly, he will try to distance himself from it. Here's Mika Brzezinski. He needs to explain that this is a big moment for the world. We are right now in a massive collective moment. And I worry he gets bogged down in Build Back Better and other legislative initiatives and goals and this and that. I think he needs to step up into the global sense of what is going on and explain it to the American people. And David Ignatius have heard from some insiders that he is being advised, go big or go home. We'll see where he goes if he does that. Biden likes to show up late to the party, as a friend of mine said earlier, and then claim the party was for him. Joe Biden will claim lots of credit and assign lots of blame. But the American people, I don't think, are going to buy it. Look, inflation was here before this war in Ukraine. You can't really blame Russia for inflation when inflation's been around for a while. You can't blame Russia for high gas prices. You can blame them for higher gas prices, but not high gas prices. You can't blame the Russians for empty store shelves. All these were things that happened before Biden, uh, before Putin went into Ukraine. That's just the nature of reality right now. So you're going to have to try to do something. And what I suspect he's going to do is first try to focus on the world. He's got a lot of elite praise for rallying the world to take on Ukraine, which I don't give him that much credit. And I don't say that honestly, and I know you won't believe me, but I don't say that as a partisan. I say this as an outside observer looking into what the president's actually done. He was caught flat-footed by the European sanctions, and his White House dithered on whether or not to send weapons to Ukraine, let alone share intelligence with them, even though they've known since October something like this was going to happen. He was, I've got to give this president credit, He was very smart using our window into Russian operations and our intelligence data to try to forestall it. But he knew it was coming. They kept telling the world it was coming. And yet this White House was caught flat-footed on sanctions. And he's going to try to distract from all of that tonight and take credit for rallying the world. Uh, Rallying the world to what? Stop Putin? You didn't. And Americans are now worried about the economic instability. Americans are now worried about inflation. Americans are worried about crime. Americans are worried about empty store shelves. Americans are worried about jobs. They're worried about not just the inflation, but a potential recession if interest rates go up, the economic turmoil that would ensue from that and from this war. It's going to be interesting to see how he tries to pivot from all of that. On top of that is the energy stuff. The White House has released a statement on the preview of the State of the Union. Listen to this. President Biden to highlight clean energy manufacturing and deployment investment that cut consumer costs, strengthen U.S. energy sector, and create good-paying jobs. In other words... He's going to double down tonight on the Green New Deal and how we need it. But we're not there yet, and we're dependent on Russian oil. We're dependent on uh, Russian energy reserves. 
So how are we going to change that? We're going to get into this in a little bit. There's some data out there. But then there's something else here, and this is really, I think, one of the most important and telling aspects of the State of the Union address tonight. There will be two Democratic responses to the State of the Union. This is a bigger deal uh, than what some people think. In fact, I pointed this out, and there was a lot of people, oh, you seem obsessed about these responses. I mean, Bernie Sanders gave one to Stacey Abrams' response. Yeah, 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 but they were out of power. Stacey Abrams, you will recall, gave the response to Donald Trump's State of the Union, and then Bernie Sanders gave one on behalf of the progressive left. And the media covered it. This goes back to a trend in 2011. Paul Ryan, then the congressman before he became Speaker of the House, he gave the Republican response to Barack Obama's 2011 State of the Union. And then the Tea Party groups, led by Tea Party Express, got Michelle Bachman to give a response to both of them. I was at CNN at the time. I was a political contributor at CNN. And they went overboard making a big deal, everyone else did as well, including Fox, that this showed real divisions in the Republican Party, real divisions. You had two different wings of the Republican Party giving responses to the incumbent president of the United States. It meant that there was a real divide. In fact, when Bernie Sanders gave a response to Donald Trump's State of the Union address that stepped on Stacey Abrams, the media, to their credit, highlighted that this was a divide within the Democratic Party, which was on the outside. But no one, nobody, none within a sitting incumbent party have dared to give a response to their own incumbent leader's State of the Union address. This has not happened before. And not only is Rashida Tlaib, on behalf of the Working Families Party, going to give a far-left response to her president's State of the Union address, Colin Allred, Democratic congressman from Texas, is going to give an additional one from the Congressional Black Caucus. Y'all, I'm sorry. This shows a very divided Democratic Party. This shows a president of the United States not in charge of his own party. If the Republicans, just imagine, just imagine Donald Trump or George Bush President of the United States gives a State of the Union address and some Republican to their right comes out and gives a response to the State of the Union, the media would be beside themselves that the president is not in control of his own party. It's one thing when you're in the minority and you're responding to the incumbent president from being in the opposite party, but to be within the president's own party and giving a State of the Union response and then have two different people do it. That shows Joe Biden is not really in charge of the Democratic Party. And I find it really notable. I genuinely, truly find it very notable that the media is largely silent on this issue. But moderate Democrats are complaining. Josh Gothheimer, he's a Democrat from New Jersey. He's a moderate. He says Rashida Tlaib giving a progressive response to Joe Biden is like keying your own car and slashing your own tires. Tlaib wants to make sure Republicans, I'm reading from Axios, and centrist Democrats like Joe Manchin get some blame for holding up Biden's Build Back Better agenda. The speech is designed to deliver a progressive vision for America, according to a person familiar with Tlaib's remarks. 
despite some sensational coverage. It's simple. I'm giving a speech about supporting President Biden and his Build Back Better agenda for the people. Really? Well, then why do you need to step on the President of the United States tonight? Philman Vela, a Democrat from Texas, says in times of crisis, we should stand behind our president. It's astonishing that the radical left continues to promote a democratic death wish and sees no problem relegating our party to a permanent minority. The moderates are furious with leave. Notice how little press coverage there is of it, though, and of this divide. If it was on the Republican side, Mike, can you imagine if Marjorie Taylor Greene gave a response to an incumbent president of the United States? The media would be all over it. And they're not here. But not only is that, there are going to be two. They're not even talking about the Congressional Black Caucus response or the Republican response. The party that's not in the White House always gives a response. The Republicans will let Kim Reynolds, the governor of Iowa, do it. If this happened, though, with a Republican in the White House and a Republican response to a Republican president, the media would be playing it up. This is a big signal that Joe Biden cannot stop the feuding within the Democratic Party. On top of that, Rashida Tlaib is a defund the police advocate. So she's going to try to tie Joe Biden to her side, and her side wants to defund the police. This isn't helpful for the Democrats, and the moderates know it. The voters rejected the squad. Around the country, people too tied to the squad, including in Cleveland, Ohio, in that special election, the squad's side loses. And now they're going to try to tie Joe Biden to them and blast moderate Democrats for hanging up the agenda. What are these? I mean, who are these people around? Do they not care about they've actually got to have a winning coalition? Listen, I'm all for purity of ideological soulmates. I'm a conservative. I wish the Republicans were more conservative. But I get it in certain parts of the country, hardcore conservatives aren't going to win. And I would rather be in the majority than be in a permanent minority. Jonah Goldberg told me yesterday, he said, it's, it's the Goldberg law of politics these days that both parties operate as if they would prefer to be vocal minorities than actually control anything. And it seems like the progressives are in that camp now. They would like to be a minority of true believers who can't get anything done but can constantly scream about it. And that essentially will be what Rashida Tlaib tries to accomplish tonight for the Democrats. Good. Let her and have her wipe out the Democrats and get the blame for it. Yes, you can. Welcome to the show. The phone number is 877-973-7425. The Democrats... In the midst of all of these issues, have decided to make a core signature election issue out of abortion. You know, most Americans consider themselves pro-life, although of those who consider themselves pro-life, the majority of them don't want a full abortion ban in the country. But Overwhelmingly, Americans are in favor of restrictions starting about the 15th week of pregnancy. And overwhelmingly, Americans are opposed to uh, unfettered, unregulated abortion until the time of birth. I mean, and, and this is part of the question here. And this gets to the heart of the matter. When is a baby a baby? Is it the moment the baby is fully out of the birth canal severed from the umbilical cord 
to when the baby's fully out of the birth canal but still attached to the umbilical cord, to when the baby's halfway out, quarter of the way out, top of the head out. When should you not be able to crack open the baby's skull and vacuum out its brains, which is what in late-term abortions they're doing? Most Americans overwhelmingly Americans say that uh, when the child can be born alive, protect the child. And the Democrats say until the child is fully out of the birth canal, you can have an abortion. The Senate yesterday voted to have abortion until the moment the child completely leaves the mother's womb and the birth canal. Uh, all the Democrats, save for one, voted for it, including the pastor, uh, Reverend Raphael Warnock, voted that a mother should be open to, able to crack open her child's skull and vacuum out its brain and tear it limb from limb until the moment the baby was fully out of the birth canal. It's a radical piece of abortion. Just fascinating that he, a pastor, a reverend, would support that. What's more interesting and more troubling and more bothersome is that the Democrats overall decided this was their big issue. They hadn't been meeting. They've just come back, and they decided they wanted to codify Roe versus Wade as law and allow not just abortion, but abortion until the moment the child exits the birth canal. The most radical form of abortion that an overwhelming majority of Americans, including Americans who identify as pro-choice, are opposed to, and yet that's what the Democrats wanted. Where there's a war in Ukraine, we're seeing economic struggles in this country, we're seeing businesses close, and we're seeing the Democrats in Washington say their biggest priority is killing babies, not actually helping the economy. Joe Manchin, by the way, uh, opposed the bill. All of the Republicans did, including Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski, both of whom are pro-choice, but even they oppose abortion up till the moment of birth and have in the past supported restrictions. Uh, But all the Democrats, including Reverend Raphael Warnock, voted that you can kill a baby until the moment it's fully outside the birth canal. Welcome back. It is Eric Erickson here nationwide. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Should you wish to be a part of this year program, you're more than welcome. We have some problems we need to get into. I want to read you a fact check. Uh, PolitiFact has done this. Uh, Maria Bartiromo made a claim on uh, television that the United States has doubled our oil, oil imports from Russia in the last year. PolitiFact says mostly false. The U.S. did not double oil imports from Russia in the past year. And then if your time is short, concludes these bullet points. The U.S. did double the amount of crude oil imported from Russia last year. 
wait, what? Are you confused? The fact check says it's mostly false to say the U.S. Uh, doubled oil imports from Russia last year. In fact, PolitiFact says the United States did not double oil imports from Russia last year and then says the U.S. did, in fact, do just that. But they don't like that Maria Bartiromo said that because they believe that her intent was to make it sound like half of our oil came from Russia. All she said was that uh, we are reliant on Russian oil. We've doubled our imports from Russia in the last year. We are, in fact, reliant on Russian oil, though it only accounts for about 3% of overall U.S. crude imports in 2021. If that 3% went away, our oil prices would go up significantly. So in other words, she's right, and PolitiFact can't bring itself to admit that she's right. And so they're lying even as they're admitting she's right. Don't trust political fact checkers anymore. You know, political fact checkers were not a thing until a few years ago. What happened is the media destroyed their own credibility. No one believed what they were reporting anymore. People were going to alternative sources of information. And so they propped up fact checkers to blast anyone who dared to dispute the media narrative. Fact checkers are not actually checking facts. They're running propaganda PR for traditional media outlets. So the U.S. did double the amount of crude oil imported from Russia last year. And it's a problem for us. It's a big problem for us. Jen Psaki was on... Uh, Fox News earlier today. God bless her uh, for doing this. I know it's it's difficult for someone from the Biden administration to go on a Fox News outlet. I'm glad that she was willing to do that, but you need to listen to this particular exchange. Is Will there be anything in the speech to talk about reversing some of those policies, for example, either Keystone Pipeline or allowing our oil and gas companies to pursue federal oil and gas leases, even while we try to transition in the future and with a smart path to greener energy. Well, I would say, Dana, the president shares the concern about any impact on gas prices, on energy prices for the American people. And that's why a range of options remain on the table. He already recently tapped into the Strategic Petroleum Reserve uh, just last fall, which had an impact. But I would say the Keystone Pipeline. But but the impact, Jen, that was pretty, that was a a blip. blip. Uh, It was a 10 cent thing, but it doesn't last. But, Dana, the policies you mentioned, I, I know Senator uh, Senator Cotton and others have mentioned these. They, they are not policies that would address the issue at all. They're not policies that would address the issue at all, really? Expanding our oil and natural gas? If you remember, back when George Bush was president, uh, the second one, George W. Bush, after 9-11, Bush supported drilling in Anwar. That is the Alaska National Wildlife Refuge. Now, to give you a sense of the drilling footprint we would have had in Anwar, imagine a football field. Imagine a football field. I'm not making this up. This is actually true. Imagine a football field. That football field would represent Anwar. Now, imagine a postage stamp, a standard size American first-class postage stamp. Place it on the football field. Now imagine that football field, and you've got a first-class stamp on the football field. 
our drilling footprint would have been the first-class stamp. And that was too much for the left. A postage stamp on a football field. That was too much for the left. And John Kerry, among others, were very forceful and said, well, you know, if you do this, it's going to take 10 years before it's developed, and we can't wait 10 years, so we don't need to do it. It's short-sighted thinking. We ultimately were able to develop some of our reserves, and by the time Barack Obama became president, the Democrats could thank their lucky stars we had additional capacity. By the time Donald Trump became president and ended his presidency, the United States was an exporter of energy, not an importer of energy. We exported way more than we brought in. We were energy self-sufficient. And the Biden administration got in and on day one started signing executive orders, canceling leases and driving energy producers out of federal lands, canceling leases in federal waters offshore and driving back up our dependence on foreign oil. And now we are dependent in part on Russian fuel. We are dependent in part on Russian oil. 60% of Russian exports are energy exports. You really want to crush the Russians? You go after their energy exports. But people like Joe Biden and the left in this country have made us dependent on foreign energy sources while they try to stand up windmills and solar panels. Uh, Here's a thing for you. Put in a bunch of windmills and solar panels. You still got to deal with the cars. We cannot all tomorrow roll over to electric cars. We can't. There aren't enough. There aren't enough supplies. There aren't enough materials. There aren't enough cars. There aren't enough charging outlets. The Biden administration, well, we're going to build the outlets and we're going to subsidize the cars. Even if you do, there aren't enough. Have you all been by a car lot recently? We're not even talking Teslas. There are not cars to be found in this country right now because of shortages. Very difficult to get a new vehicle in this country right now, let alone a used vehicle, the prices of which are outrageous right now. This is so short-sighted, and it makes us dependent on other countries for our energy. Senator Joni Ertz was on TV talking about this. We have scaled back American energy production and become much more reliant upon Russian energy, Russian oil. Um, So you're right. It doesn't matter where that oil is coming from. All I know is that we have lost 71,000 energy jobs here in the United States. We have ratcheted back on American energy production and become much more reliant upon Russian oil, as well as re-entering the Iran uh, JICPOA, the nuclear agreement, where we're allowing Russians to barter that deal, which would allow Iran to get back into the energy market. All of this is ludicrous, Sean. I don't understand this president's foreign policy. It doesn't make any sense. Now, while I'm talking, President Biden has announced that uh, the administrators and allies and partners, the International Energy Agency member states, and the European Commission agreed to a collective release of 60 million barrels of crude oil from the various strategic petroleum reserves. President Biden will authorize 30 million barrels from the U.S. Strategic Petroleum Reserve. Now, we import about 500,000 barrels of Russian oil a day. So that's a significant amount compared to what we import from Russia, but it's got to be put back. 
You can't reduce the petroleum reserves without putting it back. And then that causes price instability unless you're going to use the Russian oil to fill it back up. This just doesn't make any sense. In fact, here's Jen Psaki talking about why Biden can't sanction Russia. You know, we have we have taken steps. Um, we have not taken some steps on uh, energy sanctions, uh, in part because we weigh that. Um, that doesn't mean they're off, they're off the table. That remain they remain on the table. But Europeans, for example, are very concerned about further price spikes on, on gas, in particular. Their prices have gone up 335 percent over the last. Yes, over the last year and 26% over the last five days. So sanctioning energy would affect Russia's income stream. Certainly that would be a reason to do it, but it would also have extreme consequences on the world energy markets, particularly for our allies in Europe. So I use that as an example because we have to weigh all of the factors as we uh, weigh whether to take additional steps. We have additional steps we could take, but we consider all of those factors as we make determinations. So with 60% of Russia's exports being energy and Europe so reliant on energy, it would make the situation worse. You would think that we would want to increase our energy independence. You would think we would be smart to that. But we're not. And that doesn't make any sense to me. A, 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 a strong nation that can withstand its enemies is a nation that is not dependent on other nations. The United States has allowed itself to become dependent on other nations in part because of our ideals that trade with other nations brings peace, and that is overwhelmingly true. But we don't really trade with Russia. And increasingly, the idea that trade itself is the, the peaceful solution flies in the face of what's happening with China. We've got to boost our energy production in this country. We just have to for our own sake and our own survival. It makes a lot of sense, but not to the Democrats. They have so embraced the idea that the world is going to end in 10 years unless we get a hold of uh, climate that it has allowed Russia and China to take advantage of them. You know who's not winding down? Russia and China. They're not winding down their uh, emissions. They're not winding down their energy capacities. If anything, the Russians are building a pipeline into China so they can tell Europe to go to hell. You can't have our oil anymore. We're giving it to the Chinese. And do you really think they're going to wind down and scale back their emissions? No, they're not. So leftists around the world, environmental activists, have encouraged Western allies to become scared of climate change in a way that has driven us to become dependent on Russia and China for things we have no business being dependent on them for. The Europeans are worse than we are. They went with solar panels and windmills, divested themselves of, of coal, natural gas, and even nuclear power, and now have to rely on Russia's natural gas to offset their reduction of their own natural gas capacity. And, you know, there would be riots in the streets of Europe three weeks ago if they tried to alter it. Now, at least, the Europeans have woken up and realized, you know what, Russia's actually a threat. The Germans and the French are saying they're going to probably extend their nuclear reactor capacity. But you know what's happening in this country? The Federal Energy Research Commission, FERC, has decided they're going to start taking into account climate change when it comes to new energy deals. So they're going to blackball future natural gas pipelines because it could hurt climate change. And also, 
They've shut down an effort in Florida to extend the life of a nuclear power reactor because of climate change. That's right. They're going to get rid of the nuclear reactor in Florida because they're afraid of climate change. Rising oceans could impact it. Hurricanes could impact it. It seems like you would want to keep all the new nuclear reactors going as much as possible if you're really interested in stemming the tide. This administration can't seem to wrap its head around the fact that if you really want to do energy solutions for climate change, you cannot compromise with the fact that we need to be energy independent to forestall what's going on right now. We are importing 500 some odd thousand barrels of oil of Russian fuel and oil a day. And we're then giving that money to Vladimir Putin, who's turning around and pouring that money not back into oil, but into a war in Ukraine we're opposed to. The Biden administration has structured our energy policies in such a way that you and I, every time we fill up our car, are actually funding Putin's war in Ukraine. That's insanity. That's the Biden administration and the left. Now, I can tell you, Eden Pure, it's Eden Pure Thunderstorm. We should clean the air around here with everything else going on. We should clean the air with the Eden Pure Thunderstorm. The Eden Pure Thunderstorm is an air purifier. It doesn't mask odors. It eliminates odors. Not only that, it gets rid of the mildew, the bacteria, the mold that's floating in the air, the pollen. My gosh, I'm about to get into pollen season. My nose has been stuffy every morning when I've been waking up late because we've had warmer days. The pollen's starting to come out. You can see the flowers starting to bloom. It's going to be bad in a month. I'll be running the Eden Pure regularly. You can too, and you get three of them, one for upstairs, one for downstairs, one for your basement. You you know, they're slightly bigger than your hand. You can plug them directly in, in your car, in your RV, in your hotel room. I travel with mine because you never know what somebody's been doing in your hotel room or rental car. It eliminates the odors. Go to EdenPureDeals.com. Use the discount code ERIC3. You'll get three of them for less than $200. You will save $200. You'll get free shipping. The discount code is ERIC3. The website is EdenPureDeals.com. This hour of the program brought to you by First Liberty Building and Loan. Wherever you are nationwide, if you want to grow your business, reach out to First Liberty. They can help you. They've been helping small businesses become very big businesses since the early 90s. Uh, You need $750,000 or more for a big deal that you see opportunity in. Don't want to deal with regular banks because they're giving you a hard time. First Liberty makes their own decisions. Reach out to the Frost family. Tell them I sent you. FirstLibertyGA.com is the website. FirstLibertyGA.com. Some breaking news. Uh, Herschel Walker, who is the Senate candidate in Georgia, was going to go to a Second Amendment rights event with Marjorie Taylor Greene. She had organized the event. It was going to be her and Steve Bannon and Matt Goetz. Uh, Gates and Herschel Walker. Herschel Walker has bailed on the event. On top of that, Mitch McConnell has come out and forcefully condemned both uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene and Paul Gosar for uh, showing up at a white nationalist event. Now, we've gotten some angry emails from people saying, but but she didn't know. She didn't know. Uh, I want to play you some audio from Marjorie Taylor Greene speaking to the white nationalists. Many of you in this room knows exactly what that feels like because you know what it's like to be canceled. And that's why I'm here to talk to you tonight. I don't believe anyone should be canceled. She doesn't believe that the neo-Nazis should be canceled. Uh, The guy who introduced her on stage compared Jews in the ovens of the concentration camps to baking cookies and said that black people were better off with segregated water fountains in schools, and so were white people when black people didn't come into contact with the white people. 
Marjorie Taylor Greene, now here's follow along with me here. Marjorie Taylor Greene, you just heard me play her audio. You say she didn't know. How did she know they were canceled if she didn't know anything? I mean, some of you have emailed and called the show very angrily and said, well, Marjorie, she's a smart person. She clearly didn't know who she was talking to. How then did she know they were canceled? How then did she know that their social media accounts were turned off? And would she not realize when she Googled Nick Quintez to figure out why his social media was canceled? It's very obvious. It was all over the headlines because he was spreading neo-Nazi talking points and white nationalist and anti-Semitic talking points. This is a dude who literally compared throwing Jews in the ovens of the concentration camps to baking cookies. And he introduced Marjorie Taylor Greene on stage chanting about Vladimir Putin. And she says she didn't know. You just heard her say, I know you were canceled. She knew. In her own words, she knew. You can do better. 14th Congressional District of Georgia. Herschel Walker has bailed on an event with Marjorie Taylor Greene after she showed up to talk to the anti-Semitic white nationalists. Thank God Herschel Walker did that. Good for him. Shows good character on his part that he would walk away from her. Will the 14th Congressional District Republicans choose a Trump supporter not named Marjorie? They've got that option in the primary. It's 2022. Things are still crazy. Things haven't settled down. And now you got the Federal Reserve and interest rates. You got the economy. You got inflation. A lot of banks won't even return your phone call. Let's say you're a small business and you need a loan for $750,000 or higher. You see an opportunity where banks, they don't even want to see you. You want to buy a building. You want to build a building. Reach out to the Frost family at First Liberty Building and Loan. They've been helping small businesses become big businesses since the 1990s. They want to help you if they can. So spend 10 minutes with them. See if you're a good fit for them and they're a good fit for you. Their website is firstlibertyga.com. That's firstlibertyga.com. Again, you need a loan, $750,000 or higher. You're a small business and you see an opportunity to grow. Share it with the Frost family and see if they can help you. Firstlibertyga.com. That's firstlibertyga.com. First Liberty Building and Loan can help businesses nationwide become bigger businesses.